0: Let us pray. Silence in us, O God, on this day. Silence in us any voice but your own. Silence in us all of the quarreling interests and competing voices. Silence in us our own doubts and despairs. Silence in us. And into that silence... May your spirit speak to us and give us a word to hear and a confirmation of our place at your table, all of which we pray in Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the 17th chapter of the gospel according to Luke, beginning at the 5th verse through the 10th. Let us hear God's word. The Apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. You think the slave thank the slave for doing what was commanded. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our household was faced with the decision Monday night. Perhaps you were as well to watch the debate or not watch the debate. That was the question. And I think you get what I'm saying. In the end, we watched, beginning to end, and a little bit of commentary afterwards, even. We watched. Because there are things that you do, are there not? If you're a parent, you wipe noses and change diapers and drive to endless rehearsals and practices. If you are a musician, you play scale after scale after scale. If you're a garbage collector, you get up every morning, rain or shine, hot or cold, regardless of the deep ache in your bones. If you're a teacher, you grade papers. And if you're a citizen, you engage. You engage, you inform yourself, you watch the debates, you do all of those things, and then you vote. Regardless of anything else, it's what you do. It's your obligation. We live in an interesting time when obligation seems to be a wrestled-with term. We don't like to be told what to do by anyone for any reason. And yet we know for a team to play well, it has to practice. For a a restaurant to be successful, the dishes have to be washed. For a democracy to live up to its potential, its vision, its citizens must embrace their obligations. What about the obligations of our faith? That's an even more interesting question in 2016. As much as everything is shifting rapidly, religion is as well, including our version of it. Now, in earlier years, we might have considered the obligation to attend worship or to give or to volunteer. Driven by a combination of guilt and habit or cultural expectation, who knows what else went into that decision but now all of that is up for grabs, which is not all bad. Because still, that word is out there. Obligation. Obligation. But we are now liberated from the constriction of cultural expectation. Now obligation has been reframed and recalibrated. What's our obligation as people of faith? What is the mandate? We who follow Jesus to behave in certain ways, not anymore because some authority or convention tells us to, but because our gut tells us to, the spirit tells us to, our deep sense of calling tells us to. Today is one of my absolute favorite Sundays in all the year. Since the 1930s, and it was started by Presbyterians, I need to say, much of the Christian world has observed something called World Communion Sunday. Not only do I love what it stands for, people all over the world breaking bread, and today the bread we break and share is a rich array of lovely breads lovingly prepared. We break bread and we share a cup, a symbolic sign of the unity we discover at Christ's table, not only do I love all of that and what it stands for, I appreciate what it obligates us to do, what it commands and compels us to do. Now at its best, and we must confess that it's not always been at its best, but at its best, the church is the great leveler where there is, as the Bible says, nor Jew or Greek, nor male or female, no slave or free. And by extension, we might say now, no gay or straight, no liberal or conservative, no rich or poor, no black or brown or white, with the broadest spectrum imaginable of physical and mental capacity, where all lives matter if and only when every life matters. As the church is the great leveler, this communion table is the symbol of that reality. All have a place. Everyone born. And when we sit down, all are at the same height, and all receive the same bread, and all drink from the same cup. All. It's a gift, and it's an obligation. The theologian Karl Barth said that faith was about living with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. This morning we could say that faith is about watching the debate with one eye and this table with the other to see how our primary obligation, our faith, is lived out in the context of every other obligation. as a neighbor, as a friend, as a family member, and as a citizen. So, how are we doing? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in a letter called 2 Timothy. First, Paul writes about his own clear conscience, a product of the promise of life that he experiences through Christ Jesus. Then he acknowledges Timothy's own spiritual journey, Timothy's tears, his sincerity, the witness of his mother and his grandmother, how their faithfulness nurtured his faithfulness. But despite all that, something is wrong. Something is wrong. The flame of Timothy's faith is fading. The disciples in the gospel lesson today asked Jesus to increase their faith. Timothy seeks the very same thing. We don't know why. Perhaps it's doubt or fear or confusion. Perhaps he tried something and it failed. doesn't really matter. Timothy's faith is fading. Mine has. Mine does. Mine will fade. Perhaps yours. Faith fades, but... At that moment, Paul does not condemn it, but rather he encourages. Let the gift of God that is in you be rekindled. And if, Timothy, if all of us seek to renew our faith, then the spirit of God's love and the spirit of God's power will sustain us. That's where the obligation comes in. Paul reminds... Timothy of Paul's own imprisonment for the faith. Faith is not always a walk in the park, nor is it a nice bundle of warm feelings. Obligation can produce suffering, then and now. But even so, Paul reminds us, this is a holy calling. It is infused with grace, it is infused with light, it is infused with love. Rather than a burden, we've been given a gift, Paul says. A good treasure. And we are to be stewards of it. That's our obligation. It's never easy. It is. Never easy. But it's always rewarding. In his fine book called Reconciliation, Restoring Justice... The South African theologian John de Grouchy writes that the sacraments connect Christian doctrine and social ethics at a primary level of expression. In the season of apartheid in South Africa, when races were divided and separated, a sin we now confess. In the season of apartheid in South Africa, communion became a sign of division and a source of abuse. But in a post-apartheid world, the sacrament can become what it truly always was. It's a means of grace and healing and transformation. A way to create community. It becomes a sacrament of reconciliation. The significance of the table, DeGrucci writes, as the space around which the new community meets and is formed is also a sign of the reconciliation God wills for society as a whole. It points beyond the liturgy of of the upper room to the family meal, the sharing of goods with the poor, and the round table of political negotiation. Communion is not only a sharing in the breaking of bread, but a commitment to share our lives and goods with those in need, to become bread for the world what an extraordinary affirmation to make at any communion moment but punctuated profoundly on world communion sunday when bread is broken and the cup is poured and we partake not only do we confirm that our relationship with god has been restored but we commit and recommit to the restoration of every human being and every human relationship. Bread for the world. Not only bread for our souls, or bread for the church, bread for the world. The Croatian theologian Miroslav Wolf writes that inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us at communion must then be done by us. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. That is what we enact when we celebrate communion. We celebrate the giving of the self to the other, and the receiving of the other into the self. It's a profound and a faithful and a beautiful move to link South Africa and Croatia and Rochester with what happens here at this table. That's the obligation of communion. The joyful, demanding obligation of communion Now we know it would be easier not to do the things that this table compels us to do. To retreat into private faith. To accept what is. To not say the right thing. Not do the right thing. To kind of spiritualize away the bread and the cup. It would be easy to do that. On this World Communion Sunday. However. We remember a prayer from the Eastern Orthodox Church, actually a portion of a communion prayer. This is the day of resurrection. Let us be illumined by the feast. Let us embrace each other. Let us call brothers and sisters, even those that hate us, and forgive all by the resurrection. So, think about that. Communion as both cosmic restoration and political reconciliation. So much, so much riding on a little morsel of bread and a few drops from a cup. Amen.